Buenos dias. Thank you for joining us for Bienvenidos, a CBA DBA limited series podcast celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month. A term that, as you will hear, can be both celebratory and controversial, as well as inclusive yet isolating. Join Annie Martinez, the current second vice president of the Denver Bar Association and past president of the Colorado Hispanic Bar Association, as she explores the backgrounds and careers of some of Colorado's inspirational Hispanic and Latin lawyers. Hola, mi gente. It's Annie Martinez, your DBA second vice president, uh, here with our next week of programming for Hispanic Heritage Month. Um, this session, we're going to be discussing Hispanic women in the law, particularly in Colorado. Um, as of a report issued in 2020 by the Office of Attorney Regulation Council, 6.42% of the attorney population in Colorado identify as Hispanic. Per the census, we know that the Hispanic population in Colorado is 21.8%. While we don't know the number of Hispanic attorneys that are identifying as women, we do know that nationally the st statistics are not great. Per a report by the HNBA, women were about 2% of U.S. Hispanic lawyers. We also saw in these reports that um, women attorneys tend to leave the practice earlier at around the 10-year mark. With these sobering statistics, what we wanted to do today was talk with two Hispanic women attorneys and have them give us their insight into their experiences, what led them to the law, and things that they've had to overcome. And so for this session, I'll be speaking with uh, Cristina Uribe Reyes and Yuri Basang. Both of them own their own practices after working at reputable firms in the state. Cristina works in immigration and domestic relations, and Yuri in personal injury and domestic relations. Um, so, Yuri, let's start with you. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your upbringing and background. I'm sure. Um, I was actually born in Miguel Alemán, Tamaulipas, which is northeast of uh, Mexico. I lived there probably till I was in third grade, and then we eventually ended up moving to Texas, which is where I grew up um, most of the time. Yeah. And then eventually I, le I came here to Colorado. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, where I grew up, I would say that 99% of the people that lived there only sp spoke both English and Spanish, which was a pretty big transition when I moved here to, to Colorado. Yeah. Yeah, I feel you with that. Growing up in Hialeah, Florida, the majority language is definitely Spanish. So coming here and not having that be the default was, was a little eye-opening. What about you, Cristina? I was born in Guadalajara, Jalisco, Mexico. Came to Denver, so I didn't really have that experience. But I came to Denver, Colorado when I was two years old. Um, but when I first got here, I was doing all Spanish classes until about the fourth grade when I did full immersion English uh, courses and I've been speaking English and Spanish ever since. So you're saying you grew up in a primary like Hispanic community in Texas. Um, what was that like in terms of being formative for you and the kind of person you are today? Sure. Um, so my mom was a single mom. She, um, I, I probably would say that I'm super independent because of her. Um, she uh, cleaned up my school. She kind of followed me around and like, as I, you know, changed schools. <laughs> she did. She did. My mom did too. She was the security <laughs> guard at my high school. <laughs> she did the same thing. So she was, uh, so she was the custodian, the, the cleaning lady uh, when I was in middle school. And then eventually when I was in high school, 
And I think she probably would have followed me, you know, she could have to college. Um, And uh, so um, after that, when I went to college, even in college, I would say um, because everybody spoke English and Spanish, I, I didn't grow up with like the... So a lot of the issues that Christina grew up here with. Um, and I, I didn't really notice so much of the classism or racism or uh, just how Latinos are treated differently until I moved here to Colorado, which I was already 21, 22, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, I think over there, what I what I saw was, which I think I was lucky that I didn't grow up with that, but I think over there what I saw mostly is... Uh, you know, uh, the way you were treated was just more based on, you know, how you spoke and um, where your family was from or how much money you made, et cetera. It was, it was a lot more different, I would say, than, than here. Um, so it was something else when I moved here. It was a, a, a awakening, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Christina? Can you tell us a little more about, you know, what it was like to move to a new country and, you know, grow up here. Yeah, I mean, I think initially I would say it was a lot harder for my parents, specifically my mom, um, because she's the one that had to figure everything out. She knew, I think, very, very basic English, um, definitely not enough to try to navigate. She, uh, we were immigrants, undocumented immigrants at that. They didn't know the language very much. And so she tells the story of how hard it was for her to, be able to figure out how to even enroll us into ECE. So one of the requirements for that was we had to go get a physical. And this is before we had Google and phones readily available. And so she says that it was so hard for her to figure out where we even needed to go to get a physical for us to be enrolled in school. Um, That she would ask the neighbors and they'd be like, oh yeah, go to Denver Health. And she's like, well, where is Denver Health? Like, how do I get there? Where do I go? What do I do? But she figured it out, right? Again, I think we were led by strong, independent women um, (laughs) that got us to where we are today. I always, initially, uh, when I was still in school taking all Spanish courses, I didn't see the differences as much. Everybody spoke Spanish. Um, It wasn't until I went to fourth grade and was in the fully English immersive program that I really started to see those differences with my classmates at school. Um, and being an immigrant, uh, I think in when I went to middle school, we were our French class was going to be taking a trip to France, uh, and I couldn't go. And I couldn't really understand at the time exactly why I couldn't go. Like I knew that it was because we were immigrants and undocumented, but I didn't completely understand what that meant until uh, it was time to go to high school. And then I came time where all of my classmates were getting licenses and uh, being able to drive, starting to get their first job. Uh, Then it came time to fill out FAFSA and me having to explain to these counselors who at the time really didn't understand what it meant that I didn't have a social. Um, I mean, some people would just ask me, well, did your parents never apply for one for you? Like, you can just go to the social security office and apply for one. I was like, well, it's actually not that easy. And so here I was trying to explain to them what that all looked like. Um, I think it, it definitely had a big impact on on my life. And it's one of the reasons that I decided to go into the law and immigration specifically. Oh, that's 
that's really, that's a, it's a crazy upbringing to have to have that hit you, you know, not being able to go to France as a, as a kid, have that be that slap in the face of reality in a way. That's so awful. Um, and I mean, it, it wasn't just my undocumented upbringing. It was also like our socioeconomic class. Like, mm-hmm. even if I would have had citizenship and been able to travel outside of the country, they wouldn't have been able to afford it. Yeah. Um, exactly. In high school, like I was always in these like advanced programs. Uh, I'd be pre-IB before that in high school my mom was the one that was cleaning some of the houses for my classmates and so then there I was helping her with those cleanings and seeing like the vast difference of like what they were growing up with Mm -hmm. and what they had and then me uh, whose parents had to struggle to be able to buy the textbooks that I needed for class Mm -hmm. yeah I think that's definitely a a unifying thread here um, amongst the three of us, but definitely the two of you that, you know, there's a lot of factors that went into making you so determined to get where you are today. And I think a big part of what I wanted to highlight is you're both very young in your practice and have already gone on your own. And for me, that was like a really, it was really important to note that because I think it's it speaks volumes to being a Hispanic woman that of course, as soon as you had sufficient experience, gonna make me cry. you went out there on your own to do it and to do it your way and to show, you know, you, you to your own daughter and now your son, Christina, but in other kids, I know you both volunteer in the community, you know, to really give that example and to lead by example and by showing what we didn't have growing up, right? We didn't get to have these examples. You know, I'm pretty sure none of us grew up with a lawyer in the family or had a friend who was a judge. And, you know, the things that you two have accomplished are really huge so early on in your years in practice. And I wanted that to be part of what we highlight here today because I really think it's super emblematic of what it is to be like a fierce Hispanic woman, right? And to do that and not in the stereotypical spicy way, but in terms of like <laughs> getting it done, like getting done and doing it your own way. And it's it's part of why I wanted you know you both here. So I think, you know, hearing a little bit about your backgrounds, let's talk about what got you to go to law school. Um, you, do you wanna start off? So I remember I had, when I was in high school, I had this amazing English teacher and um, it, it was very often where she would try to compliment me in something and I would decline her. <laughs> like she would say, you did this really good. And then I would say something like, no, that was horrible because X, Y, Z. And then I remember, you know, one time she said something along the realms of, ugh, you have something negative to say about everything. You should just be a lawyer. <laughs> Walk around and be an all day, right? <laughs> something like that. And... <laughs> And it kind of just stuck to me, you know, mm-hmm. um, and and um, when I became involved in, when I started going to school in, um, in college, um, initially I was actually a business major, but I started getting very involved in organizations and I just felt so comfortable, you know, speaking to people. And then I just found, a, I got involved in student government and I just found it, um, it was something that I wanted to do. It felt right. Um, and then I ended up doing a pre-law program to see if that's really what I wanted to do. And it was so hard. <laughs> I remember I was sleeping maybe like 
every two hours and then studying and doing two hours and I and I meal. just yep and I I just I loved it I I wanted to do it um I got involved um I saw a lot of you know horrible things that were happening in our border um you know I am I didn't mention this but I'm actually from a border town. Mm-hmm. Where um, you just, you, you see a lot of things that happen um, from people crossing borders, a lot of the injustices. And um, I saw a lot of people that needed help and they were just so clueless as to what they needed to do. Because even though I was so close to the border, people who were, you know, coming to the United States were still super clueless about the way everything worked. Mm-hmm. And um I, I wanted, because I, I felt so comfortable and I felt like I owed it and I, mm-hmm. I had to do that, yeah. And, yeah, that's how eventually I became a lawyer. Yeah. Where did you go to law school? Uh, here in DU. Cool. Yeah. So I, I ended up graduating in very young. I think I was maybe 20 when I graduated from college. Wow. A little too young. And so I was really burned out. Um, I think I was taking maybe like 20 semester hours or something ridiculous like that. And so I needed a break and I ended up taking a marketing job for about three years. And then I went to law school after that. Marketing and banking. I don't remember exactly. It's a lot ago. (laughs) I like try to block out parts of certain things. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I had a kind of went sideways before law school and yeah. did medicine and did two years of med school and I have completely blocked really? that out I don't even like to remember I didn't, I don't, you're on, I didn't know that about you that's amazing <laughs> so Christina let's talk about your journey to law school <laughs> I mean for me it, it came around um, because of organizing so again me being undocumented um, I had I, I would say a pretty decent grade point average I mean uh, compared to everybody else in the IB program, maybe it wasn't on the highest side, but it was over a 4.0. Um, but when I was trying to go to college, I was running into a lot of roadblocks because of my status. Um, I ended up figuring it out uh, with a lot of help from other people, but I was running into a lot of roadblocks and I started organizing around like the DREAM Act, which would have given legal status to uh, people have, who have grown up here. Um, and then tuition equity in Colorado, which would have granted students that grow up in Colorado uh, this, uh, a reduced rate other than an international student if they went to college here. Um, and so I was organizing around those two things. And around those years, both of those kept uh, not passing through the legislation. And I got really frustrated because I, I started to realize that while organizing absolutely works. It does take a while, right? It's not something that's going to make a change from one day to the other. And so I thought that going into law, I would be able to make that change a lot faster. Now that I'm in the law, I realize that that's not the case at all. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm now trying to figure out another solution. Um, But I do realize that at least I can make the difference, um, like on a smaller scale, one person or one family at a time, Um, just not overall big change legislative change anyway and we did talk a little bit or at least I mentioned about um, both of you being kind of early on in your practice on your own so can we maybe talk a bit and we'll start with Christina about like how you got I mean I think you talked a little bit about why you got into immigration but in terms of like how you went on your own and how that's been what's been your experience yeah I mean when I went to law school, the whole idea was for me to be a lawyer. 
I did not start with business. I did not ever take any business classes and I never really wanted to be a business owner. Like that was not it for me. I was going to be perfectly content just working for somebody. I never thought of doing things differently. But then I did start working for somebody and then I realized, you know what? I kind of can do this on my own. I don't want to continue working for men. Uh, I I want to make the (laughs) rules. And so that that kind of is what led me to it. There there was a certain way that I wanted to run my practice. Um, and I was basically already doing the work, right? I just wasn't making all of the rules. And so at one point I decided I want to be making some of these rules. I don't want to keep following the rules forever. And that's why I decided to go on out on my own. And honestly, it's been great. I was super scared of the business side of it. Uh, I knew that I... I knew the law side of it. I could figure that part out. I had experience there, but the business side really scared me. Um, but now that I'm there, I realize you can just hire people for when you don't know how to do something, <laughs> like yep. accounting, biz- taxes, stuff like that. You can hire somebody. You just can outsource, outsource it. it. <laughs> There's no need for you to have to learn it all. Um, and the rest of it, it's really not that hard. <laughs> like, I don't know. We, we passed the bar. We went through law school. Like you can figure the rest of it out. It's been amazing. I love uh, being able to set the rules, being able to run the practice the way that I want to charge the rates that I want to. Um, and also now um, just the freedom that comes with owning your own business and what that means for my family, um, what that meant when I I was pregnant and had my son and the amount of time that I was able to spend with him because I now run my own practice. What about you, Yudi? I think for me, it was probably, um, you know, I my mom was a custodian. So I think any making any more money than like $20,000 a year was a win. Yep. Um, <laughs> yep, that's so, a big one. <laughs> um, I think for me, it, you know, it was like, okay, even if I just barely make it I think that's it's worth a risk because either way it's a win for my family um I worked at very big firms um I would say at least in one of those I was pretty overworked very stressed um and even though it paid well I I didn't really like the way um just people were treated and um just in general there's a lot of things that I didn't like that I knew that um I I didn't want to keep being a part of that. So I, similar to Christina, I was like, I can do this. Why not? <laughs> and the worst that can happen is I fail and I'll just get another job. Yep. <laughs> like I'm still a lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think it's just the, the, the lack of fear of failure is I think what's important. Um, and so, yeah, yeah. I think that was, that was the main thing. Lack of fear of failure. If I fail, I'll make it work eventually. Yeah, but that that tenacity, right? That again, that kind of goes back to what we talked about with your moms and kind of your upbringing, right? Of like, well, you can't be scared of failure. You're just gonna get up and keep going. And again, I think that's another kind of trademark in in Hispanic women, particularly, but in the Hispanic culture, um, very hardworking, but also, you know you get up and you keep trying. There's no giving up. And so many of our countries have been through how many revolutions and hostile takeovers and, you know, the U.S. coming in and putting in puppets as as leaders. And our people keep coming to this country and keep succeeding. And another thing I forgot to mention um, is, is that I notice a lot of people that probably 
didn't know as much as I did. And I'm still very, very young and only have like three years of experience. And I noticed people that were business owners and had 10 years of experience and still lacked some of the knowledge and they're doing great. So Mm -hmm. that's another thing that I thought, um, and I'm sure maybe Christina can relate to this, uh, (laughs) where we're like, oh, they can do it. it, (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, I think it was like, if they can do it, we can do it. And like what you were saying, our families, if they've been able to do it, like we can do it. Right. Um, if they were able to come here not knowing the language and figure it out, like, I know how to use Google. I know how to speak mm-hmm. English. Like, how yeah. hard can it be? <laughs> you know, that's like anytime I think about it, I remember I'm like, my dad came on Mariel in 1980, got told in the morning, you're getting on a boat, your ass is out of Cuba. You can pack one bag. And he had not been expecting to leave. That was not necessarily his plan. And at 17, 18 years old, my dad got plopped in a little mini camp in Miami for I don't know how long and then got told, these are your four cities to pick from. We're sending you out and ended up in New Jersey and then from New Jersey to Chicago. So when I sit there and I get overwhelmed or I think, oh my gosh, how did I, like, did I, I should have thought a little more before jumping into this. I go, well, wait. Look at how Jesus came. My dad's name is Jesus. So, of course, you know, I, I literally tell myself, what would Jesus do? <laughs> you know, like get, and get over it because you just, you, you're going to succeed. If it's not this time, it'll be the next one. And if not the next one, the one after. But what, you got to keep on going. And so that's something that oh, I always think of, too. I'm like, well, what would Jesus do? <laughs> so it, it keeps me focused from getting a little you know, overwhelmed sometimes when you start to think like, oh, the money was slower this month or, oh my goodness, this case, I didn't think opposing counsel was going to be like this. I can't handle it. Like, I can't deal with that. (laughs) You know, so it's, I think that's something also that we, we always have to fall back on, right. To keep us, keep us going. We have great examples of resilience um, to keep us going. So I think I also wanted to talk about and I, I kind of reminded myself with what I said about dealing with um, opposing counsel that are not always so sweet and ideal. Um, <laughs> and I'll start with Christina. Like how, how being a fraction of a fraction of a fraction in terms of being a Hispanic woman attorney and then on top of that being your own business owner in Colorado, like how has that impacted you working like day to day? What is it like walking into the courthouse and maybe being the only person who looks like your client and can speak their language? Like... And Yudi is going to be the same for you, too. So think about it. But oh, there- <laughs> my God. So, I mean, there's definitely the good and bad, right? I'll, the good, I think, being able to speak the same language that my clients speak, it, it really helps with, like, translations and stuff. Like, I've had it happen so many times where there might be, like, a translation er- error and I'm able to tell them, hey, this is what happened. Or even before we start court, just being able to talk to my client and tell them what to expect. Like for the the attorneys that don't speak the same language that their clients do, they have to wait until the interpreter gets there to be able to communicate anything. I'm able to talk to them throughout the whole proceeding. If they have any questions before, even simple stuff like, hey, where's the bathroom? I can like explain that to them, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And it makes a big difference. But then on the other hand, being one of so few Latinas, 
I'm constantly, constantly. Let's yeah. hear it. Where is it we, coming? We know it. Is it we coming? know it. Whether it's judges, <laughs> staff, security guards asking whether I'm the interpreter, whether I'm the paralegal, whether I'm the client. Nobody has <laughs> ever asked. Yeah, nobody has ever asked, are you the attorney? No, this is like a new thing. Um, and then when I do tell them I'm the attorney, they're like, well, let's see your bar card. Well, I'm yeah. sorry. Wait, did you ask for the person, the, the, this this man walking in front of me through the security line mm-hmm. in the attorney line? Did you ask him for his bar card? Because you did not. But yeah. I have to show mine. Yeah, I got the sheriffs called on me and Adams for that because I caused a scene that they <laughs> insisted on getting my bar card. So I told the security gentleman, I was like, I'm not playing this game with you. Two other attorneys vouched for me. And you haven't asked anyone else for their bar card except me. And he's like, well, I'm not. He's like, you're going to have to leave your stuff here. I said, that's fine. You can hold my stuff for me. Thanks. <laughs> I went to my hearing that I was late for and then was escorted back with another attorney to make sure I didn't further put my foot in my mouth. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and the sheriffs in Adams County had printed out my attorney registration from the website and went, well, we were able to double check and you really are an attorney. So oh, at least, and goodness. I was like, like just the blood boiling in that moment so it's the kind of and it's 2021 how is this still happening like you'd think that you just don't assume like even if it's a shocker just keep it to yourself maybe they see our names and they're like you must be the interpreter yep no no (laughs) try again (laughs) what about you yudi i think uh one of the the most positive experiences that i had is that Um, some people just at a more basic level um, don't understand like for example a divorce like what Mm -hmm. documents you first have to submit to the court then after that you have to do your financials and then after that you have to you know ABC or whatever right (laughs) and they just are so foreign to the idea of doing any of that um, that I think it's really beneficial that even if it's for simple things that were there to be able to educate them and relate to the culture also um which they just don't get whenever Mm -hmm. they're dealing with somebody who's not uh latinos or hispanics um and so i think that's probably one of the biggest benefits um another thing is that i think that a lot of things maybe don't translate exactly Mm -hmm. as we want them to (laughs) and so sometimes instead of saying mediate like let's say there was no direct translation for mediation then i could just explain what mediation is which a lot of times they don't get that when they have somebody translating Mm -hmm. and so i think that's just lovely it feels great um to be able to help people who who just they just don't understand and and we're able to help them get through it Mm -hmm. um that's probably the biggest plus i would say um when it comes to uh, personal injury cases i find that a lot of insurance companies insurance companies um (laughs) they take advantage of so many people that Mm -hmm. and i'm getting excited because i i hate it um they get just uh, (laughs) they they just take advantage of of people often and, yeah. and and i think when they have somebody on their side who is able to speak the language then that we can make sure that they're being taken care of and um and then the ne- my negatives are just literally exactly <laughs> as hers like um we are constantly underestimated mm-hmm. um but i heard this somewhere we should just use that to our advantage and yeah so 
Definitely have before. (laughs) What you were saying about culture is also super important because it's not just the Spanish language. Because there's other attorneys that Mm -hmm. aren't Latinos or Hispanic. They can speak Spanish. But it's not the same thing um, knowing the the culture and being there. Um, With my cases, like I've I've been able to do it where um, the meaning of domestic violence, if you just ask domestic violence, they might not understand. They'll they'll tell you no. Yeah, everybody just says no. Uh, but then if you actually start to ask more questions like, well, does he do this? What about do you have to cook dinner? Does he get mad if you don't have a plate set out for him already? Mm-hmm. Stuff like that where you, you, you've you lived through some of this yourself yep. in the culture. Um, you're better able to just explain other than what you were saying, just translating word for word what's being said. And I think it, it's a huge impact, too, because I think a lot of members of our community have like a it, an earned distrust of so much of the law, maybe because either their home country is it's corrupt in the legal system or they've had disparate impact in terms of their relations with the courts here in the States potentially. And so they have a lot of like hesitancy and to be able to talk to them directly as them, like, look, I get it. I get why you feel that way, but let's sit down. Like you don't have to be scared to go to the courthouse. Like you don't have to worry about some of those things that, you know, you have these conversations with other attorneys who, yes, speak Spanish, but don't don't know the culture or like, I don't get why they're hung up on that. I yeah. don't understand why this is an issue. And you're like, oh, my goodness. Or even in divorces, when you're trying to explain um, that it's a little more typical in some of the Hispanic culture for the dad to have not done a lot of the child rearing and that now in the divorce, he's going to get that opportunity to do so or say he doesn't want to. Right. You know, you can negotiate that out. But even having that conversation sometimes when you don't get it, they're like, oh, what a deadbeat dad. He's never done anything. And you're like, no, he's provided in his head. That was the right thing to do. And so you, you're not meeting them where they're at as well. You know, like that cultural competency is lacking, even if you speak the language. And so I think that's something our clients really benefit from. Definitely, especially for you two in the areas that you work in that are so impactful in someone's life you know, in in very different ways, but like these sometimes are cases that can change the direction of their life and to know that they have someone in their corner who gets where they're coming from, who even gets the slang they're saying when they get stressed out meeting with you, you know, it's just, it's such an honor for them to get to have that because people take that for granted. You know, they take for granted that when an American white person goes to an American white person lawyer, you're operating at the same wavelength. And, you know, and our community didn't get to have that. Like our parents didn't have that. You know, they didn't get to meet with people who got them like that. And so to be able to even have that is just huge, right? Like for them to be able to be like, I, Miha, you understand me? Like, you know, whenever a client calls me Miha, I'm like, hi. (laughs) (laughs) It's always like the sweetest thing. I get so excited. But Um, on the other side of that, our culture can also work against us as women, as Latinas, as Hispanic mm. women, mm-hmm. um, because some of the men uh, aren't as trustful or they don't want to work with us for the mere fact that we're women. That does happen, for sure. <laughs> um, or, you know, you work at a law firm and you're expected to be the one to make the coffee when you get there in the morning. Or like if it's somebody's birthday, you're the one who's going to make sure there's a birthday cake. And you're like, because I'm the woman? Yeah. Like, I'm not the office manager. I'm not. <laughs> that ain't. It's not my role. <laughs> so maybe try that again. But that yeah. does. That's true, too, where, you know, the other side of the coin where those kind of things play out to our disadvantage, of course, because yeah. 
Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate that you see that a lot. Has the CBA or DBA helped you all in any way? I mean, any mentorship? I mean, look, what I, what I can say, what I can say about that is it's also, as a Latina, there's not a lot of us, uh, of us out there. It's really hard to be able to get into these organizations and like get that mentorship, get that help, or just even belong or have that feeling of belonging. It's part of why I did decide to, to go for this spot for the second VP, um, because I was like, you know, I don't see enough Latinos involved in the greater bar. Like, obviously, we have the Hispanic bar, and then a lot of us have individual, like, practice areas that we may be involved in. But then in terms of, like, the CBA and the DBA, it never really felt like we had a presence there. And then the little bit of a presence we had, it always felt like it was big law or some kind of government mm-hmm. spot. And I was, so that was what really got me to want to, I almost said try out, it's not try out, but apply. <laughs> it's like I'm in ballet again. <laughs> um, because I, I wanted to be that person that we weren't seeing and hopefully try to do better outreach. And that's why we're doing this series on Hispanic Heritage Month and really trying to highlight different people in the practice across the state to, to put, you know, action to those words. Like, yeah, we want to be a diverse organization, but you got to put money and and work behind it. And part of that is highlighting the people out there who maybe don't always feel like they get highlighted because they're not at a big law firm and, you know, and they don't do that bougier area of law. Right. And so you don't necessarily get the same recognition that you that you merit. And that was kind of part of what we're doing here with this series, too, is highlight more people, right, that really are representative of the Hispanic legal community in a way that maybe hasn't always been reflected. Yeah, I, I, I think that's great because that is kind of my experience when I've, I've been at some of these events. Like if you're at a big PI law firm or this big civil law firm, like you, yeah. you might have a lot more opportunity within these organizations um, that you and you don't see it as much for solo practitioners or like these smaller firms so working on it working on it taking comments and feedback please (laughs) (laughs) um so another thing that is important to i think the legal profession and important to us as latinas is um like self-care and wellness and it's something also that the bar is really starting to focus on a lot more in terms of um you know, we know the stats, right? Like one of the highest suicide rates of any profession, attorneys, Um, depression, attorneys, divorce, attorneys, you know, alcoholism and other substance abuse, attorneys. And so, you know, how, uh, and I'll start with you, Yudi, like what are things that you do to, you know, stay balanced or to try to balance that out? What are your healthy coping mechanisms? And what are, you know, what are the kind of things you like to do to Decompress. Yes. Um, I, I think you probably, one of the, the first things that I learned when I went on my own is you have to learn your boundaries, which Christina taught me. Um, you have to learn when to say no, when to, um, if you know you've reached like your limit on how mm-hmm. many clients you have, you, you have to know what your limit is or, or, you know, not answering phone calls at 9 p.m. Um, 
or 6 a.m. this morning yeah. like I was getting. There you go. Set your hours. Don't answer beyond those hours. Don't do it. <laughs> if you have to, look at it, but just don't answer. Don't give your, your personal cell phone out uh, to clients. And and so I think I think that would probably be the the one of the first ones that you have to know what your boundaries are and what your limits are um, as an attorney. Um, and then personally, you also have to know when it's time to go home, when it's time to put the case away, the mm-hmm. research away, the clients, when to tell them, you know what, let's just talk about this tomorrow and yeah. see if we can look at it from a fresh perspective. Um, so boundaries would probably be the first one. Um, second, um, I really enjoy uh, just going out in nature and hiking as much as possible. Um, and taking little trips here and there, I think, is really helpful. And I have, now that I own my own business and, and my own boss, I find myself also being able to leave earlier um, rather mm-hmm. than staying too late to spend time with my daughter. And um, I think something that, that initially was really hard and it's not anymore uh, for the most part, <laughs> um, is is being present. Um, if you're at home, you're at home. If you're working, mm-hmm. you're working. If you're with, you know, out and about with your kid or hiking or whatever, then you're that's what you're focused on rather than um, thinking about work twenty four seven. Trying to be more present. Yeah. 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 What yeah. about you, Christina? I mean, I I think similar. Taking these little trips here and there, the beach the ocean um my husband would laugh because he says that whenever i go i don't actually even get in the water so why do i like it so much but um <laughs> I, I enjoy it my way right just yeah. just being at the beach enjoying that water um, or even taking like smaller trips and experiences here in colorado mm-hmm. uh, last year what we started doing was like paddle boarding um trying to explore a little bit more outdoors not that I'm the biggest outdoor person, <laughs> but hiking and doing all of that, it just, it's something different. It takes your mind off of work. Mm-hmm. Um, dancing, actually, mm-hmm. too. Uh, we just went dancing this last weekend, and I hadn't been in over a year and something months. Oh, wow. It was great. I had so much fun, uh, <laughs> and it was just dancing, you know, um, mm-hmm. some salsas, cumbias, stuff like that. Uh, so and then just what she was saying um definitely know your boundaries set those hours and i literally i I will look at messages and emails that come in because i can't completely turn it off Mm -hmm. but i refuse to answer any after five or before nine like these are my hours um and that's when i'm responding to to all of this stuff i need to get better i was (laughs) i did a i did a hearing in animal kingdom (laughs) <laughs> I was in Disney World. I had coverage for the hearing and then my client freaked out and was like, no, you have to be the one there. And obviously I shouldn't have even known this because I shouldn't have had my work phone with me in <laughs> Disney World, but I did. And so to reassure her, I was like, forget it. I won't let the coverage attorney do it. I'll do it for you. And my boyfriend took it in stride but there's a picture of me sitting in animal (laughs) kingdom with a little safari hat doing webex like this is just not i definitely need to get better i will try to take that from you all (laughs) it helps with the stress a lot (laughs) and i think one of the things we can do with those clients because it's i also they they come and they come to us they trust us right we don't want to just set them off with everybody but Mm. i do try to set those expectations with them from the very beginning like look i'm a solo i don't have any other Mm -hmm. attorneys 
Um, you're always going to be talking to me, but then that also means that I'm not always available, right? Um, it'll take me this amount of time to get back to Mm -hmm. you, or there may come a time where somebody needs to cover, Mm -hmm. uh, and you need to be okay with it. Like, I'm still going to be on top of your case. I still know everything that's happening, but if you're coming to me, just know that me being a solo and me being available, like that also means there's trade-offs. There's, yeah, there's Mm trade-offs. Definitely. So I think uh, we're getting close to what my last question, I think, and what I really want to do, and this is as open as you want it to be, but I wanted to ask, and I'll start with Yudi, um, what does it mean to you to be Hispanic, to be Latina? Like, what does that mean to you? I would say for me, what it means to be Latina means that I, even though I'm American, right, mm-hmm. um, I am also from another country, mm-hmm. right? Myself, I'm from Mexico. Um, I think we have a very rich culture and it's something that uh, rather than put it away, we should embrace. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it, it shouldn't just be, I know that we we have that quote, like equal, equality, blah, blah, <laughs> crap. But in reality, it, sh- it should be, you know, we still should embrace mm-hmm. um, our differences, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Yeah, I think for me, being Latina is is coming from, um, you know, Spanish-speaking mom who's from Mexico, who um, moved here to the U.S. and, you know, would work 60, 70 hours a week mm-hmm. so that I could be in these expensive <laughs> classes and yeah. expensive programs in school so that um, I could be, you know, in, in her words, like, mejor, like, better, mm-hmm. so I have a better future. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I, I think that is what I see when I see Latina. Mm-hmm. Um, very strong, <laughs> strong, 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 strong. Yeah. Cristina, what about you? Yeah, I think um, being Latina, it's something that I had to grow up to understand and be proud of. Uh, having gone to school with a lot of people that also didn't look like me. It's not something that I embraced before, like middle school, even high school. I wasn't really embracing it. I was trying to hide it. Mm -hmm. Uh, When my uncle would play music, like traditional music in Spanish, I'd always be like, what are you listening to? Can you turn this stuff off? But secretly, I did like it. I just Mm -hmm. didn't want my friends to know that I liked it. Um, And so now being proud of being Latina and being Latina means I embrace all of that music. I proudly will blast it uh (laughs) doesn't matter where i'm at it means i love tamarindo and mango con chile (laughs) and i am a dual citizen now i'm mexicana so um it 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 means just being proud of all of these things that make me different Mm -hmm. um but also make me the same like other people like us Mm -hmm. right It, it, it brings us together um and it means being a part of that community. And one more thing yeah. I want to mention that I forgot. Pronouncing our name correctly is a big <laughs> deal. Oh, my God. So, um, <laughs> yes, it's a big deal. Well, <laughs> I go by Annie, but my full name is Anamari. Yeah. So I remember in college I had a professor, and I went to University of Miami. So even <laughs> though it was like the bougie private school, it was in Miami, I figured 
Ana Mari Martinez would not be so difficult. And I got called Anna Mary Martinez. <laughs> I was like, what is that abomination? And then I just kind of stuck with Annie after that. I was like, no, it's just Annie sounds better. You know, it'll so, be easier for you. I mean, I have a complicated name, Yuridia Ibed Basan, right? Um, and, and I think initially I was like, oh, you know, Yuri's fine. But um, now in court, I'm actually starting to be like, establishing that Judy, mm-hmm. you know. Just that little bit of, you know, not, not dominance, but a little more of like assertiveness. Like, no, you're going to put some respect on my name, right? Like, <laughs> even just the effort, you know, helps. It really does. And I actually, I've had had a lot of attorneys who actually put in the effort before they even ask. Which or is, even if they can't say it, yeah. us saying our name correctly, because there yeah. was so many years while I was in school that I let people just Europe. Yeah, sure, you're like, what, whatever you want to call me oh. is fine. And now it's the same thing, like Cristina Uribe Reyes. That's how mm-hmm. I say it. If you can pronounce it, great. If you can try to pronounce it, great. But I am not going to change my name so mm-hmm. that to make it easier for yeah, you. Yeah, I'm not going to water myself down to make myself palatable for you. Like that's not, I don't need to do that. If you have a problem, you can choke on me. But- <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think on that note. <laughs> See, this is why they think we're scary. I know, right? Adios. Well, I want to thank both of you, Yuridia Gracias. and Cristina, for being here today. And, um, you know, I, I just really appreciate you sharing with us, opening up and giving us a little bit of insight into your experiences as a Hispanic woman attorney in Colorado. And, you know, just how your Latinidad has impacted you and what that looks like in your day-to-day. And I appreciate your time. And thank you for inviting us and for taking up these spaces so that uh, you're, you're paving the way for us. Bienvenidos, a CBA DBA limited series podcast celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month has been brought to you by the Colorado and Denver Bar Associations. On behalf of your host, Annie Martinez, thank you for listening. Gracias por acompañarnos hoy.